Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and I'm sticking around to my state again today, state of Pennsylvania, uh, for a great conversation with um, someone who's going to be my new friend. We're already friends anyway. Uh, Dana Danielson, who ran for office uh, in 2020, and while she came up short in the votes, she inspired a lot of people in her community, as a number of my guests in the past have done. Um, and waged a really um, mostly uh, largely positive and um, aggressive campaign to get out the vote and make a difference, especially as we'll discuss in a race where Pennsylvania proved critical to the fate of the nation. Uh, this is a time when the fate of the nation is really on the line. We've seen recently with just awful things happening in Washington, D.C., and we'll discuss that and discuss hopefully at the end of this why instead of feeling dejected and feeling sad about the state of things, maybe you should run for office, too. Uh, with that in mind, Shana Danielson, thank you so much for talking today. Sure, thanks for having me. Um, I um, was excited to see your campaign. It was an important part of the state. Um, and before we get too far into it, tell everyone where you are. Sure. So I reside in Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, which is the very northern uh, border of York County, right on the border of Cumberland, and we are just across the river from Harrisburg, right here in South Central PA. In South Central PA, that Harrisburg, um, York, Lancaster area, uh, a lot of people outside of Pennsylvania have a very weird idea of what the state is. That's that's a growing and important part of the state right now, right? It absolutely is. Uh, Cumberland, for a few years in a row, was actually the fastest growing county in Pennsylvania. I believe we've now lost that to Lebanon County, which, again, is on the east shore, but very close to Dauphin and Harrisburg. This region has been, you know, on plenty of lists of top places to raise a family. Um, it's beautiful location, natural beauty. We're centrally located. Uh, you can be to Philly or Pittsburgh or Washington, D.C. or New York City relatively quickly. Um, and we chose to move here uh, several years ago and raise our family here. I've been there um, in that area many times. My family's in Pittsburgh, but I've bumped into the area where you are multiple times. It is beautiful. Like, if you go over one hill, it's just another postcard scene all the time. <laughs> exactly. And so you are, you're there. And what's your background originally? Sure. Uh, so I grew up in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, um, moved when I was a kid. My dad got a job transfer, took us to the Finger Lakes region of New York. And about two years later, the company that he had dedicated his entire career to went bankrupt overnight. Um, so, you know, we experienced when I was in high school, I know what it's like to have parents who have to declare bankruptcy and mm -hmm. we didn't have health insurance. And um, that kind of really just like furthered my my uh, desire to go to college and, you know, hopefully get myself a career where I would have some stability. Um, so I pursued a degree in music education. I am a, um, a music teacher by trade. Um, little did I know, as I graduated college in 2008, what I was about to, you know, get into in the economy. Um, I was fortunate. Eventually, I did find a full-time teaching position. I taught in Cameron County for about seven years. Cameron County is north central PA, northwest PA. There are more elk than humans, um, but it is just absolutely gorgeous, mm -hmm. but not a lot of people. Um, I met my husband. We had we started our family. We had my son, um, Elliot, and we just decided that maybe this wasn't where we wanted to raise him. There, 
again, lots of natural beauty, but you have to drive two hours in any direction to get to a target. <laughs> there was um, no culture, really. If you weren't into hunting, there was nothing to do. So my husband got his dream job uh, at a university in Maryland, and we settled here in South Central PA. Um, I have taught in three different school districts. I worked for the Music Educators Association for a while, took a little break from teaching uh, to advocate for teachers and help them you know, plan conferences and further their professional development. Uh, spent a little bit of time after my first run for office. Uh, I worked for Keystone Progress for a time um, before getting back into the classroom and then ultimately deciding to run for Senate. Well, that is an exhausting um, <laughs> run of stuff. You were, it sounds like a ton of energy. You're taking a little bit of a break now from all that. Um, yeah, and you were involved um, both in running for office now and in other political things. Have you always been aware and paying attention to politics or you said you graduated in 2008? Was it like a campaign in particular that got you interested in politics? Um, sort of. So I hadn't really paid much attention um, because, you know, like I, I feel maybe I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people in my millennial generation weren't paying a lot of attention until President Obama mm -hmm. was elected. That, that was exciting. I didn't volunteer much on that. It was like I was student teaching that semester. Um, so, you know, that shame on me, I suppose. But it was really exciting when he won. And then, like I said, I started teaching. And so right away, you know, joined my teaching union um, and was swept up in the 2010 elections. Uh, we had a gubernatorial election in Pennsylvania. Very much did not want to see Tom Corbett get elected. And when he did, and then, you know, subsequently cut a billion dollars from education funding in Pennsylvania, that really kind of galvanized me to like move beyond the keyboard warrior and like start to figure out what it was I could do. Um, like I said, there are more elk than humans where we were living. So there really wasn't a whole lot that I felt like I could do. I wasn't really familiar with political infrastructure. Um, so I tried to be involved with my union for a while. I was the, you know, pace the like fundraising chair or whatever, but again, hard to do when you have a, an incredibly small staff and, you know, truth be told, if you're looking at that part of the state, there were not a whole lot of Democrats to be found. So I didn't actually have great opportunities to get involved until after we moved. Um, and I, I had stayed home with my son for a few months. This is right when we moved down here before the 2016 election, mm -hmm. um, but we're very new to the area, didn't really know a lot of people. And then I remember my husband, you know, waking me up to show me the results. We just cried in bed. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, what do I do? Um, and so, you know, when we got settled here, I immediately, you know, went to the first Moms Demand Action meeting that I saw, and a month later was part of the leadership team. Um, I went to an indivisible meeting. Two months later was a committee person for my county party, and then suddenly a candidate for state representative. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I didn't know anyone, but a group of people at that indivisible meeting really took me under their wing, and we formed this amazing team of people who were just learning about what to do. We had no idea. None of us had ever been really involved in campaigns before. We clearly did not win. I live in Northern York County. This is not exactly a, you know, um, progressive hub by any stretch, but we, uh, out of that campaign, we formed the Northern York Democratic Club. Um, and, you know, we've been organizing here now for, for a few years and, and we're starting to really see results. And I am, I, I don't, I'm not an expert in the districts, but in 2018, was that Jess King's district or is that the other one next to it? No. So I'm in PA 10. Um, that was George Scott ran in 18 right. and then Eugene 
Eugene was running uh, oh, yes, this yes, year. Yes, because you have seen your comments about Scott Perry, and um, yes. we, we share the same opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really tough to live here sometimes, um, but this the last few weeks have made it a lot harder. And so it's been interesting because um, you've been involved for a number of years, and it feels to me, and, and you've had conversations on these campaigns, like my understanding of what it meant to be a Republican and what it meant to be a conservative even, while it wasn't what I identified with, this brand right now just seems like a totally alien creature of, like it's gone from a level nine that I wouldn't touch to now level of like 300 crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I mean, it's it's very much, you can see what has happened since Trump was elected or actually really since he launched his campaign that you've mm-hmm. seen the fringe. You know, I, I look back to like the Tea Party um, wave in, in 2010 and I think like that's obviously where all of this started. Um, and, and I think that was largely because Democrats didn't do enough to really stick up for working families after President Obama took office. And, and we can trace kind of a lot of this back to like economic issues, except the Republicans aren't talking about economic issues anymore. They've gone full white supremacist fringe. And it's terrifying when you see how many of them are now doing things like what we witnessed on Wednesday and how that's being propped up by our own representatives here in Pennsylvania. And we've seen now, like, your part of Pennsylvania is growing, central PA, while some places are improving in Democratic performance and some aren't, um, you know, the, the this week uh, after the awful um, coup attempt, I don't know if there's any better word than seditious terrorism that happened in Washington, D.C. this week, um, there were a couple Republicans in, I think, East or West Lampeter Township in central PA who switched parties because they said, I can't be part of this. Um, yeah, I saw that. I also heard, um, now this is secondhand knowledge, I do not have this directly, but I also heard that just yesterday there were something like 88 or almost 90 people in Cumberland County who changed their voter registration. Now, that doesn't mean they were Republicans when they went to Democrat, but I mean, that's that's a lot of people in one day. Especially for um, that place. Right, in the aftermath. Now, Cumberland does not have an outright Republican majority anymore. Democrats don't have the majority, but between Dems and third party, there are now more of those than Republicans. And that's recently, just within the last year. That's a big deal um, for for a county around here. But it's changing so quickly. Um, you know, so many people are moving. We have so, we have like a hospital boom. A lot of places mm-hmm. in rural PA don't have access to health care. We almost have too many hospitals here. Um, and so like... The, the area is growing very quickly and the demographics are shifting. We have incredible diversity in Cumberland County um, and, and it's really exciting to see that shift. We know that making big change is, is a long haul effort. It's not going to happen overnight, but Governor Wolf won this district in, in 2018. Um, Cumberland beat out, I believe, Chester County by like the slightest margin. Cumberland was actually the biggest swing um, for Biden in Pennsylvania this year compared to 2016. Like, that's a huge deal. We might not have won, but we know that what we did made a big difference. Yeah, so what what do you think that you did in, to that help statewide? And I, I really believe that one of my first guests on this podcast is someone who also didn't win this year, but Emily Segrist from Wisconsin. Tony Evers won um, in 2018 by a squeaker. And if it wasn't for down-ballot candidates, he made, I don't think he would have won because there were so many people running for assembly there. What what did candidates like you, or your campaign specifically, do that you think lifted up the rest of the ticket? 
Yeah, well, I can't claim, you know, full credit for any of this. Well, yeah, don't claim. That would be kind of a bit much. (laughs) Uh, But I I think what was different this time, what uh, a couple of things. So number one, we actually ran a campaign, which hasn't happened for the state Senate seat in a long time. Even the incumbent who who won um, and has now conveniently scrubbed the Internet of all of his social media accounts. So I'm just waiting for his announcement that he's running for something else. Uh, But he didn't campaign. He hasn't had to campaign because Republicans have just been so used to having majorities that they've never actually had to talk to people. So we did that. I mean, we did something novel and we actually campaigned. It was difficult in a pandemic, but we made hundreds of thousands of phone calls and text attempts and our um, Twitter, obviously, you know, (laughs) was was fabulous. Um, I hired an incredible staff. My campaign manager deserves so much credit for what we were able to do. Uh, Michael, he's an incredible, incredible campaign manager. Um, and, and another thing that I think was really important is the coalitions we were building, not just here in our district, but with folks across the state. So I was fortunate um, early on, I, I did have to come through a three-way competitive primary, but I had support from a lot of the sitting state senators. They knew what kind of campaign we were capable of running. And so they they were very supportive of us. Um, I mentioned to you before, like uh, Senator Saval, who who won in a primary and is now the senator for the first district, was a huge support um, to my campaign. We did fundraising calls together. Um, Rick Krajewski in Philadelphia, who is now a state representative, also incredibly helpful. And a lot of that comes back to the, uh, the PA Stands Up Coalition, um, Pennsylvania Stands Up is an organization that has chapters all over the state, and they were working with, you know, Turn PA Blue and directly with campaigns to help us. I mean, I had so many volunteers and donors from all over the state, not just here, because they saw the power we could have if we were to take back the majority. Um, and they believed in, in not only me, but in what my campaign was doing to try and bring that change right here. Yeah, it's, it, I really believe that Democrats all across the country, it felt like more of a united team effort um, than I've ever seen. I've been working in politics in one way or another since 2002. Um, What was that team like? Was it invigorating? Was it um, distracting? You know, did you really feel like there was a team atmosphere this year that was better than maybe you would have expected? Yeah, um, a little. I mean, again, I I hadn't worked on campaigns at all. I mean, I made phone calls for Obama, I think, in 2012. I went to like one phone bank party, but I didn't have a lot of experience until the campaign I ran for state house in 2018. But even then, we were like a tier three, like nobody was really paying attention. A few people started to pick up on what we were doing just because we were aggressively trying to (laughs) run a campaign, even though we didn't really know how. Um, But it, it was definitely different this year there was so much enthusiasm around trying to regain majorities because we saw what the Republicans were doing and, and how much worse it had gotten. Um, I won't say that it was always easy, but I, I don't think I would change anything about what happened. And in an ideal world, you know, decision-making might maybe would be a little different, like the emphasis and, and how um, the higher ups, if you will, pick who they're going to focus on and what races they deem as winnable. That's the one thing about politics. I think that's really frustrating. Sometimes it doesn't matter how dynamic a candidate you have if your, you know, like DPI looks good, but sometimes you can have a great DPI and a horribly uninspiring candidate. And so like, there are just so many things that go into making a race winnable. 
Um, I know nobody thought Senator Moose was going to win, right? But she was such an incredible candidate. She was able to really speak to people in her district, and she pulled that out. Mm-hmm. Now, we we always knew we had a really uphill battle here. Um, and, and I was pleased, you know, at the end to see how many people who make those decisions were, were trying to at least at least in their words, um, you know, rally around what we were doing here. But again, even though we didn't win, I think that what we did did make a big difference. And I'm really grateful for all the support that we received. And I ask that because, then, you know, there's always another election coming up. But John Fetterman's announcing for Senate right now. Um, yep. And, you know, we haven't even gotten through January yet. We haven't gotten like, through the first week of January yet. And that's 2021. Um, yeah. But... You know, if you're talking to people who will look at a, the don't know what a DPI is, for example, yet, or are looking at their county and saying there's no Democrats here, you know, if you want your state to flip for governors and Senate and Congress, would you recommend that people take the leap and try and challenge these districts where, like your opponent, they're never challenged before? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even when I ran in 2018, like a Democrat hadn't challenged that state house seat in six years, um, an independent had, and she was able to, you know, get all the votes of people who refused to vote for Republicans. But it makes a huge difference. Even if you know you're not going to win, we held out a lot of hope this year that we were working our tails off and, and we thought we might have a chance. And then look what happened everywhere to down ballots. You know, this was very much a referendum on Trump and pretty much only on Trump. But Trump's not on the ballot anymore. And we saw the success we were able to have in the midterms in 2018. And I absolutely think we can do that again in 2022. So many people were coalition building because we knew the urgency of removing Trump. But now we've had all of these opportunities to see our local state reps and state senators are complicit in this behavior. They've been pushing these conspiracies. You know, they refuse to seat Senator Brewster in the 45th district. Um, and, and so I think people are paying attention now to state policymakers in a way that maybe they haven't been before. And we absolutely need to capitalize on that. These people need to be exposed for what they're doing. Um, and, and working families in Pennsylvania deserve better. And even if you're not going to win, if you bring out an extra 100 or 200 voters, that's huge for, you know, the top of the ticket where we can really make a difference. Yeah, there's 200 districts in the state or state house, more than 200. And if everyone got out an extra 100 voters, you know, suddenly we're at 20,000 voters, right? So, you know, right. it adds up pretty quickly. Um, it's now- a lot easier, too, as a down ballot to be able to have actual conversations right. with people and, and persuade them. So it is very important that we have people running everywhere. Right. Cause I know I, I was involved with other campaigns in the state and they're all like, we're going to get out people in Pittsburgh and in Philly and the suburbs and in Scranton. And if we have extra time, we'll do it in York. And if you're there, you'll say, we're going to get people out in York. Yeah, that's it. And I think that is beginning to shift a little bit. Um, I, I'm on state committee for the democratic party and, they started talking finally this year in a real way about how to build infrastructure in places other than Philly and Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. because I know all the election coverage was about how Philadelphia saved the election. And it is important that people turned out there. Right. But what saved this for Biden in Pennsylvania were the, the cutting of the margins in all of these counties in rural PA. That's where he won. And I want to be incredibly clear that if people would not have turned out in, in the T, as they call it, um, you know, we would be in a very different situation right now. And that is a, pretty much 100% accurate. So Biden did worse in Philadelphia, percentage-wise, than Hillary Clinton did. Um, right. And, 
while he did really well in the suburbs, especially my county, no offense, the best county, Montgomery County, um, you know, we made up that margin too. If, if it was only up to Montgomery County, he may have won by like a couple hundred votes. And, you know, the uh, I think it was Steve Kornacki or someone else who was saying he's picking up, you know, flipping uh, by 4% in Tioga County or this county or that county. And while he would, so instead of losing by 30 points, he's losing by 26 points. And that adds up. It does. It absolutely does. Um, like I said, Cumberland was the biggest switch. It was over 7% difference from 2016 to 2020. And that's a really big deal. It really is. And it, it didn't trickle down, down ticket the way we would have liked. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, York County is all paper ballots now, which, yay. But my race was on the back of the ballot. And so when oh. I was looking, I would compare drop-off numbers. There were some precincts where it was almost 200 voters that voted for president and didn't vote in my race. Um, and so, you know, that's something that now as a county party and as a state party, we're really going to focus on continuing voter education efforts, continuing to encourage folks to vote by mail. Um, and, and we have a lot of work to do that can't wait for the next presidential election. So I'm excited to see um, what we're able to do with all this momentum that we just built. And the work you're talking about doing, um, you know, we just saw you're a millennial we just saw a millennial win in Georgia, a Senate seat that he's going to hold on for six years, John Ossoff. Yeah. Um, so when he, when John Ossoff's term ends, he's still going to be under 40, which is really cool. Um, and I'll feel old. But um, <laughs> so, you know, what, one thing I've noticed in Democratic politics, and maybe in Republican too, is that there are a number of people who are older in thinking. And I'm not being ageist here, just... You know, they're like you said, they're doing the same thing they've done for 20 years. And then there's a lot of newer voices talking about digital organizing or going into different parts of the state. Um, would you encourage people if they don't want to run for state office to get involved in state committees or county committees? Why would that be important? Yeah, so I think um, I'm glad you, you brought this up. This is one of the most important things we need to do, because if you want to talk about, um, like, I'll just talk about York County briefly, because that's where I live. Um, There was no committee person in my township on the Democratic Party until I called them to ask who it was. And they said, you can be it. And I was like, okay. Um, And now I'm on the executive committee for my county party. Mm -hmm. And and there are so many openings. And these are the people who go out and knock doors in their neighborhoods and let people know there are even elections happening. These are the people who can really be communicating with with your neighbors, you know, finding out what issues they care about, not not just candidates, but look, we can be doing this all the time. I'm also on state committee for York County. um, And I have to tell you, um, I don't want to get kicked off state committee, so I'm going to be nice, but it is incredibly frustrating to sit through those meetings Mm -hmm. and to listen to, to a bunch of folks who've been in party politics for 40 years, like just resist you know, the, the reality of the moment that we're in Mm -hmm. people, younger people, especially millennials, Gen Z, when you're ready, like need to get involved because we're dealing with issues that these like boomers don't understand student debt. For example, if I see one more person say, I paid off my loans, why should you're like, I will, I will scream. Um, they don't understand. My husband and I have one son. He's the light of our lives because we cannot afford childcare to bring another child into our family. These are not, these are not decisions that, you know, people in their fifties and sixties were necessarily having to make. We both have to work full time. I'm looking for 
uh, for a job right now, I made the decision to leave my teaching position to focus um, full time on the race. And that was a very risky financial decision. But if you aren't independently wealthy, you know, you can't run for office without bringing hardship onto your your family. And we need more people from our backgrounds to be talking about that with people in their neighborhoods, because those are the things and like gerrymandering and campaign finance reform. These aren't always like sexy issues. But when you're on people's doors, they care about that stuff when you tell them about it. And so it's incredibly important um, that folks get involved locally. You don't want to run for state house. That's OK. Be a committee person. You only need 10 signatures. You know, um, anyone can go to state committee meetings. You can't vote if you're not on state committee, but you can sit in and listen and offer, you know, find your state committee people in your county and tell them how you feel. That makes a huge difference. Yeah. And I get really frustrated as someone in Democratic politics. When I hear people say, oh, the Democrats did this, I can't believe the Democrats put that person up. It's like, look, the reason that someone is out of touch on a Democratic committee, whether it's county or state or local, is probably because no one else ran against them and they could have easily replaced them by just getting 11 people to run, right? Right. It's not absolutely the, the barrier for entry for that is low and if you get enough people to make changes, the kind of changes you can make are significant. Well, and then let's talk about bench building. You know, Republicans are incredibly good at this. Mm -hmm. Um, They're terrible at ideas, but they're very good at bench building. They always have candidates to run for township supervisors, to run for school board, to be on these committees. Like they know that that's how you build the bench. And if you look at a lot of these state Republicans in the in the House and Senate, that's where they come from, especially like York County. They're coming off of school boards and they hold extreme positions, but people know their names. Right. And so, you know, a place like York County, it's going to be incredibly difficult for us to flip a House or Senate seat, but we can flip township supervisor seats and, and things where it's not, uh, you know, like get out there and run a good race and you've got a chance to win this stuff. And I'll point to my county, Montgomery County, and before I got here, um, back in, I guess, 1990, uh, when Bob Casey was running for governor, the first Bob Casey, um, he won every county except for Montgomery County. It was the only solid Republican county. And now, like in my area, like we find people like, I wish I had a position for you to run for because, you know, we, we've done so much organizing from the county on down to everything um, that we have more good people here then we know what to do with because we're doing that. And so it might not happen overnight, but the difference in Montgomery County between now and 10 years ago and 20 years ago is massive. Right. And I think that's hopefully what we're going to start seeing in, in the next Montgomery County, you know, and Cumberland is often wrapped into that. York will get there. I do think we'll get there. Our population is growing. A lot of people live in Southern York County that work in Maryland um, because it's so much cheaper to live here. A lot of folks who work in Harrisburg are now moving to the West Shore suburbs. And so we we definitely are on that path. But it is going to take time and mm-hmm. it's going to take sustained work. And so, you know, that's what I'm most excited to continue doing. Does it suck to lose? Yes. Do I regret running? Absolutely not. Because I know that what we did and the infrastructure we built and the interest we brought. I mean, our race was getting attention not only all over the state, but you know, I had donors in almost every every state. Like people were were seeing us on social media, um, and that's huge. People yeah. are paying attention now to this region, and we need to keep that attention here. Now, it's not difficult to do when our elected representatives are so heinous. Um, Doug Mastriano hails from South Central Pennsylvania. 
Rust Diamond is South Central Pennsylvania. Uh, I know they're no Daryl Metcalf, but they're equally evil. And so they're constantly making the news for for the awful things they're doing. And people are saying, like, how do we get rid of these people? What, who's running? Who do we invest in? And right. that's what we need. Yeah. And, you know, the other you know, the other comparison to my county is that it was really Republican. And now the Republicans in Montgomery County have either switched parties or they stayed that party, but they're not voting Republican, uh, at least up ticket um, because they're so repulsed by what the party's become. Um, right. Do you think that might be the direction in, in even some of these more conservative parts? Because I'm just seeing a news clip today that the, the I don't know what we want to call them, the rioters, the terrorists, they were smearing human feces in the U.S. Capitol. Like, <sighs> if you found out that that's what your Democratic Party was doing in your area, whether they were taking over the Capitol, I would assume that you would want to distance yourself from that as much as possible. Well, and that's part of a larger conversation, right? I mean, we've been saying, I think, for five years, like, oh, well, Republicans can't tolerate this. But look what's happened. Yeah. I'm not saying that all 70 million or 74 or however many million people voted for Trump. I'm not saying that they all support him as a person or whatever. But if you're still willing to fill in that bubble after everything that has happened, um, you know, at a certain point, I think we really need to take a hard look at this opinion of, of, well, can't we all just get along? And we really need to work together. I mean, at a certain point, when do we stand up and say our preserving our union is more important than, than I don't know, all these calls for civility? I'm, I'm not ever going to advocate for doing anything close to what these people are doing. But we do need to stand up at a certain point and say, we're not going to allow you to not see a senator. Like, you're breaking the rules. Like, we need to pull some Bernie Sanders filibuster level stuff. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about following the rules, but following the rules in a way that allows us to avoid, uh, you know, these attempts at, at, I don't just ups completely upsetting norms. Republicans don't care about norms. Justice Ginsburg had not been, you know, she hadn't even been buried yet and they were already putting up a replacement for her. Republicans don't care about decorum and we need to realize that. And we don't need to punish them for that, but what we need to do is what we are able to do to ensure that we are, you know, preserving our union. It, it is, I'm sure, because of all the stuff you've done, it's hard for you too, but it's become really hard in my heart, actually, to, like, if my friend disagrees with me about like which ninja turtle was best or uh, like they disagree about like they're a cowboys fan in philadelphia like well all right you know it's whatever um right or if like you know there's a trail coming into my town if my neighbor says i don't want that trail coming in another one says i do okay but right at this level like i have a neighbor down the street from me and i will advocate for him as his representative like i will i don't want to hurt him but it's really hard to look that person in the eye that is going to be championing this and right. and not feel disgust, not feel anger. Well, and I think that's where we keep the focus, right? We absolutely want people to live and feel safe, but we need to call out when people are doing things that prevent that. And so if there are still people in York County who have Trump signs in their yard, I cannot look at those people with sympathy at this point. And they've been hurt. And I know there's been conversation, right? And it's not just 
it's frustrating as a Democrat in York County, right? Our county party chair always puts up this graphic at our meetings. It's like, you know, Republicans have been in control of the state legislature for like 28 of the last 30 years. Has your life gotten any better? Mm -hmm. And the answer is clearly no, especially when you look at economic policy, environmental policy, funding of education, all of the things that would make life better here are, are actively being suppressed by these Republicans. So while Sen uh, State Senator Mike Regan may not have stormed the Capitol the other day, he is absolutely standing in the way of making progress. While Don Kiefer might not have been the one urinating on the floor in the Capitol, she was actively talking to these insurrectionists and, and egging them on at our own state capitol just this week. I mean, we need to be looking at these people and holding them to account for their role and, you know, perpetuating these lies that have led people to do heinous things that, honestly, I don't think any of these people five years ago would have thought they were going to be storming the Capitol. This has been egged on from the very top, but but down to the state level. And we need to look at that and we need to hold these elected representatives to a much higher standard. And I, you know, it's not just those people who are the most egregious, like Doug Mastriano, but, you know, there are a number of Republicans who are in office, whether it's in Pennsylvania or other states, who um, they've never said any of these things. They've never actively push these election lies but they've also never spoken out and exactly. they they don't say no those people can't have committee spots um right you know when you go around and talk to people like this is not like just a small thing if you if you are a republican in office which involves a lot of public trust you can't be giving those people any credit or power if you really believe that they're in the wrong well, and this is what, you know, it kind of comes back to the point of why we're having this discussion today. Like, we might not, I'm not going to get elected governor, right? I mean, I'm not going to run. That would be insane. But, like, I can't have that kind of power. But what I can do is I can talk to people. I can educate people. I can work to organize my community. I can run for local office. I can do all of these things, which collectively, when we do them all across our commonwealth, can have a huge impact on what we are able to accomplish for people in this state. So, you know, it just, it's, incredibly frustrating. My congressman, Scott Perry, was the one who objected to counting Pennsylvania's electors. Um, it is so frustrating. And I, you know, co-led a meeting with Capital Region Stands Up last night on like, what can we do about this? And, and it's really hard that you can't just recall them. You know, you can't just say, well, expel him, like get him out. We don't have that power, but we can absolutely use our voices in so many ways to hold these people accountable and to get rid of them when the time comes to vote them out. Yeah, and to make sure that everyone knows exactly who is complicit in whatever way they are because being uh being in office and I think being silent about it at that level is being complicit. Right. I mean, I and I'm going to bring this back not because I just ran against him. No, go ahead. Frustrating. <laughs> Senator Mike Regan, who I just ran against, has scrubbed his Twitter accounts are both gone. His Facebook pages just came down today. We just saw an insurrection at the United States Capitol. They put out a weak statement, a group of them. They wouldn't put out anything on their own. Um, he didn't even write a comment. He just shared the statement. Uh, and now all of his social media is gone, making it that much harder for his constituents to, to hear his voice. And the rumor, of course, is that he's pre preparing to announce he's going to run for governor or Senate or lieutenant governor or who knows what. So he has completely scrubbed the Internet of all of his heinous activities for the last 
few years and he is not the only one who's doing this and so it's just this just goes to show you how important it is that we run against these people and we try to hold them accountable because then they do things you know they think that they can get away with this and and it's just not okay and mm-hmm. um, i know people in my activist circles around here are fired up about stuff like this but it's not enough for them to only hear from the same you know 20 or 30 people who are always holding them accountable like the more we can talk about this, the more we shed light on these things, the more we challenge them, you know, in the appropriate ways by running against them, by organizing against them, you know, the sooner we can try and get some normalcy in our government. And it's my understanding that other people, like he may be scrubbing his social media, but a lot of people have been saving some of those things. Um, of course. And the thing is to me, when I see things like what he has done and what Doug has done and what others have done, especially this week, is they aren't oblivious. I was on a call with a friend. He's like, these people are idiots. Like, not all of them. And, like, people like, especially in the Senate, the the state legislature, they know what QAnon is. Like, Mm -hmm. they know what all of this stuff is. They're not oblivious to to the danger that could happen. No, but those are their supporters. That's their base. Like you can't you can't cry innocence at all if you it's and again it's not okay to have been quiet but it's another thing to have riled them up and then pretend like you had no idea what would happen. Exactly, and that's you know a lot of them are trying to claim this this ignorance or to say well you know we condemn and it's like you can't condemn after the fact you know you knew that this could happen. Um, what happened in the ca- I mean I just. I was glued to my TV for 12 hours. I cannot tell you the amount of times that I cried on Wednesday watching what was happening um, and and being, you know, in my mind, just playing back, like, look what just happened in our own state Senate the day before. You know, look at how Mike Regan and Don Kiefer and um, Doug Jones, no, not Doug Jones. Doug Jones is good. Mike <laughs> Jones, a, a state rep in Southern York County. These people have been egging on these conspiracies and these conspiracy theorists for months. They have been planting these seeds and they are not free from criticism about that. And they're going to, you know, obviously we saw Jay Corman say he's not going to tell Mastriano he has to resign because they don't have spines, but they're absolutely complicit in this and they need to be, they need to be told about it, you know, in a civil way, because we write letters to the editor when we're mad. We don't storm the U.S. Capitol. Yeah. And, and it's one, or it's one thing if we go to the Capitol and we just hold signs. It's another thing if we're like people had a noose. Yeah, I, I, it's terrifying. I, it's terrifying. Like I am no fan of Mike Pence at all, but like there are many accounts of that. There were people going there, uh, mad that he didn't overturn the election. There, there were people who were going to kill Mike Pence, the vice president. Yeah, I mean, you see the pictures. They had those like zip ties. I was just going to say that. that. They were gonna, I mean, it's it's horrifying, and we're lucky that none of the people with guns made it anywhere. But people died. Yeah. I mean, this is not, and, and, you know, I feel awful that blood was shed, but at the same time, you know, I, I keep listening and, and just getting so upset at these, you know, the statements, like, look what the police response was for Black Lives Matter protests, which actually were peaceful, by the way. Um, and the National Guard was all there. And then you look at what happened yesterday and it's just, if this is not a moment of reckoning for those middle of the road, quote unquote, moderate Republicans who voted for Trump because of his policies or because of abortion or whatever. Like, if this is not your wake up call, what is, you know? And so that's why the work we do in our communities is so important. 
well, on a positive note, let's go to a wake-up call for people listening. If people um, are following your campaign, if they feel dejected or angry or inspired, why and how would you encourage them to either run for office or get involved in 2021 or 2022 or beyond? Yeah, so there are so many things that you can do to get involved. Um, and, and everyone, you know, I was like this too, like, oh, I don't have the credentials. I don't have the resume. Like, I can't run. No one will take me seriously. When I ran in 2018, there was a sitting state rep who literally just said, we're looking for warm bodies at this point just to, like, be on a ballot, just give people a choice. Um, I will just refer people to some of our sitting gover government officials. If Donald Trump can be elected president, you can be elected to your school board. Like, you are immensely more qualified than half these people. You know, if you don't think you have the qualifications to run for office, please look at Daryl Metcalf. You are absolutely more qualified than these people. So number one, it's just kind of learning to put aside the imposter syndrome. It's mm -hmm. very difficult to do, yeah. but it is important. Two, there are so many resources out there. You know, I mentioned some of the organizations that supported us. Find, you know, Turn PA Blue. They are so full of information. I am a graduate of Emerge Pennsylvania. So if you are a Democratic woman in Pennsylvania and you are interested in running, they're starting their new cohort in just a few months. Um, look into that program. It is incredible. The amount of information you'll get about how to run and how to win, that program was invaluable to me. Um, you know, look for your local Democratic clubs. Look to your county party. You know, find, find people like me who have run and are full of information. I would be more than happy to personally talk to anyone listening to this who's considering running for office. You know, find me on Twitter um, at Shanna for PA and send me a message. I'll talk to anyone who wants to run. Because it is so important that we have sane, qualified people, especially women, especially people of color, especially millennials, especially immigrants, you know, people who have experience that we do not see when we look at our state and local governments. We see, no offense, a lot of white men. We see a lot of old men. Um, and, and it's just time for, for different voices to, to be heard. And so, you know, there are so many things you can do. Um, if you're interested in running and so many people who don't know you, but are already excited to help you. And I just want to point out to people listening, if you're thinking like, like Shana said, that maybe you're not able to win in your district, um, the state of Georgia elected a pastor from Martin Luther King's Jr.'s church to be a new senator. And they elected a 33 year old um, Jewish intern of John Lewis to be um, a new senator too. So if they can win in Georgia, you can win yeah. in Pennsylvania or Michigan or Montana. Um, before we go, I just want to let people know, we, we did mention Senator Katie Muth. She was a recent guest, so look at that episode as well. Uh, and upcoming episodes from Montana and Missouri and Michigan, just trying to get through the M's again, I guess. But um, I really appreciate you running for office, Shana, and I hope that people listen, um, that they'll be inspired and motivated, and they'll, they'll reach out to you, and they'll run for office too, wherever they are. Me too, and I cannot wait to help them do it. And Shana's right. She will help you. Please reach out to her. Uh, Shana4PA on Twitter. She will help you, and um, she's she needs she's has the time to do it, so don't waste your time. <laughs> That's right. Have a good one, and best of luck to everyone, and you should run for office.